Blue Wire. Rosen traded to the Dolphins. I couldn't be more excited to become a Dolphin. Rosen looking down the field, and his pass is going to be caught for the touchdown. Running around, circling, oh, look out! All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Fin It to Win It, the post-2019 trade deadline edition of the show. And and we have some things to dig into today that are really grinding my gears. And I want to knock that bit of this right off at the top of the show. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch the morning shows on ESPN... Uh, namely ESPN, mainly Get Up is where I'd, li- I'd like to kind of grind my gears a little bit this morning. I want to talk about this collective thought that the Dolphins committed like football atrocities and heinous acts on Monday Night Football, uh, namely looking at the Cover Zero Blitz on third and 20, that was the touchdown that moved Pittsburgh within 14 to 10 just before the half and uh, effectively killed all momentum for the Dolphins after jumping out to a 14 nothing lead to start the game. Uh, you would have thought the Dolphins just had everybody fall over simultaneously, all 11 guys, and like grab their hamstring. At the snap. Because the way that Mike Greenberg and he called it disgraceful. The Dolphins play call was so clear and blatantly a tank that it was disgraceful to the NFL. Which I find extremely ironic. uh, Because you look at Mike Greenberg's team, the New York Jets. They had traded for offensive guard Kalichi Osemele this offseason, and uh, Osemele was having some shoulder issues and saw the team doctor, and the team doctor told him, no, you don't need surgery, you can play through it, blah, blah, blah. And Osemele goes to two separate other doctors who both told him, yeah, you need surgery on this. And uh, Osemele told the team he was going to get surgery, and the team told him no. And then Osemele got the surgery anyway, And the Jets cut him the next day, the day after surgery. But sure, Mike Greenberg, the Dolphins blitzing eight on third and 20 with a coverage mix-up with Nick Needham is heinous. Okay, let's have a little bit of perspective, please. And it's just that, uh, thank God, the Dolphins don't play on national television with any regularity. Maybe it would help if they did because there'd be some kind of perception of the team uh, nationally. But even some of the the beat guys in Miami right now seem to really struggle with the thought process of the team, the approach of the team, let alone the national media when the Dolphins, in the rare occasion they get on primetime television, they go out and they lose because that's what the Dolphins do on primetime TV these days. 
And everybody wakes up the next morning and says, wow, you know, the dolphins, uh, tank, 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 uh, uh, it's disgraceful, they're going to get players. Like Steve Young said, the dolphins are putting players at risk, putting players' health at risk. Every football player that steps onto a football field is at risk. And I'm sorry, but the Dolphins are not so talent deficient that they're risking the the physical well-being of their players to go play a football game. They're not bringing out like a, a junior varsity uh, college team to play. They're they're a lot of young guys, young players, fringe roster players. Uh, the Dolphins have a core of probably 10 to 12 guys, so 20, 25% of their roster is guys that can probably be seen as long-term fixtures moving forward. And Steve Young, in the pregame show, is sitting here talking about how the Dolphins are risking the health of their players. If the Dolphins were risking the health of their players, would they have put Xavier Howard on injured reserve yesterday after what Xavier himself described as a minor knee injury? Some will go ahead and turn around and point to that as a tank. But I ask you, what is the value of playing Xavier Howard with whatever the knee issue is? They said it's not ACL, it's not uh, MCL or PCL from what I understand. It's not one of the major ligaments in the knee. What's the advantage of an 0-7 football team playing a guy with a bulky knee who's had knee injury issues for three of his first four years in the league now. On an 0-7 football team. What's the upside? What are you going to play him and he's going to go out and he's going to make a couple picks and do structural damage to his knee? The Dolphins just made a decision in the long-term interest of the health of their players. And Steve Young's up here talking about how the Dolphins are going to get somebody, somebody's head taken off and they're, they're complete disregard to tank the season away. Did Brian Flores look like he was tanking when he was ripping that ref a new a-hole on the sideline when they moved that ball back on the fourth and two scramble from Fitz? Flores looked like he was tanking when he's kicking onside kicks against Buffalo, fake field goals, fake punts against Washington. Going for two points in the win against Washington, and people will say, well, you see the play they drew up for that? Uh, go back and watch the 10 times it worked for the Patriots and Chad O'Shea. There's a very clear pipeline there, and a, a lot of the examples, the cover zero blitz. Steven Ruiz for USA Today did an awesome job laying out uh, kind of some of the narratives about tanking, and he effectively said, like, yeah, if you've got jokes about tanking, Go ahead and make them. But if you honestly think the Dolphins' coaches and teams are trying to lose, then you're full of mud. And he went on and he provided examples of uh, the the cover zero blitz uh, on third and long and the two-point conversion play against the uh, the Redskins. And he provided film examples from other teams doing the exact same thing. So... I, I just really struggle with, with why the national media 
who they they don't pay attention to Miami. They haven't paid attention to Miami in forever, right? Like, that's part of the problem with the Dolphins. They don't have star power. They they don't have the kinds of players that are going to command attention on a weekly basis. And as a result, you see the superficial surface-level moves that they make, trading Laramie Tunsil, trading Minka Fitzpatrick. And the narrative becomes, oh, well, they're tanking. And then you progress six weeks of your life without ever thinking about the Dolphins. And the one time they show up on TV, there's a bad failure in execution and and probably an ambitious play call to call the blitz. I know Flores said after the fact, you know, I'm going to be aggressive. This team's never going to go down not swinging. So we're going to continue to call games aggressively. And I love that mentality. I'm not totally sold on what the failure was in the coverage. But I can say my expectation would be if you're going to play three men in deep coverage against a max protect look, which is what the Steelers were in, it three guys spaced out, flexed the whole field, and you're on the two-receiver side, inside defender's going to have to take the inside break. So Xavier Howard's playing on the boundary here. And Nick Needham's playing the inside position on the two-receiver side. And when Deontay Johnson breaks his route and runs underneath, Needham's got to go go with him. You can't ask Howard from 15 yards off to transition and chase that underneath. And that's what happened. And then Howard's kind of... You know, he he was late to break on it working underneath because he's not expecting, he's expecting to carry vertically. And then he realized, well, next not going to go get him. I got to go get him. So he chases and he, he's in pursuit mode the entire time. And Deontay Johnson's fast for Pittsburgh. And Needham kind of works his way across the field and, and tries to get leverage over top and make a tackle. And is just provides one of the most sorry uh, challenges of a block you'll ever see in your life. And got ran, ran over. Uh, James Washington, the receiver uh, from Pittsburgh, number thirteen, he body snatched Needham twice throughout that game. Um, if I were going to do something different on that play call specifically, I wouldn't have played fifteen off. I wouldn't have had my receivers play fifteen yard off man coverage. I understand you don't want to get beat vertically, but that amount of cushion coupled with the miscommunication that you got, and obviously you don't call the play anticipating there to be a miscommunication, I would want leverage for the defenders, but I would not want to give that much cushion underneath on third and 20, where you know they're not just going to run three verts for you. Somebody's going to run a break. you got to be able to at least be somewhat prepared to transition and break on the ball. I think that's all my griping about tanking. Uh, Because, yes, from a systemic level and a a player roster construction perspective, this team is handcuffed, and that's by design. I say this every week I get on this podcast. That part is by design. Nothing else the Dolphins are doing. Brian Flores, Chad O'Shea, Patrick Graham, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen, Christian Wilkins, Raquel McMillan, Xavier Howard. None of these guys are... 
somebody on GetUp suggested that the Dolphins got a phone call from upstairs in the booth uh, during the timeout to say, hey, yeah, make sure you let him score here. We need to lose a football game. Do we really think that that is something that happens? Does anybody honestly think that, or does that just make for fun television when you have to talk about a bad football team? Because if it's the latter, then shame on you. If you're not good enough to present information in an engaging way for people who want to listen to what you have to say about any topic in sports, that's on your own deficiencies as an analyst. Don't make stuff up. And now I'm done talking about tanking. Let's move on to the trade deadline. Dolphins got two deals done. Now, everybody talked about how anticlimactic the trade deadline was and well, you know, nothing really came of it of substance. Just remember, America, what team did not let you down at the trade deadline? The Miami Dolphins. Two trades in the two days, 48 hours before the trade deadline. Sending Kenyon Drake to Arizona for a conditional day three pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Also sending... A seventh round pick from like 2022 <laughs> to LA uh, to pick up uh, a keep to leave who's on injured reserve and a 2020 fifth round pick. So if you're not initiated with uh, the current status of a keep to leave, he's in a contract year. Uh, the Rams were right up against the salary cap. They just traded for Jalen Ramsey like last week. So this was the Brock Osweiler deal being sent to Cleveland from Houston where the Rams effectively said, please eat this money. We can't afford him. We'll give you more assets to just take him away. And that's what the Dolphins did for a fifth round pick. So $4.2 million approximately for Aqib Tlaib. Uh... And the Dolphins have done this several times this year, and this is pretty progressive on their part. This is not something you see a lot of teams to. Uh, remember, the Dolphins paid a portion of Ryan Tannehill's, uh, was it salary? They paid down his salary this year by like $5 million to get Tennessee to take him for a fourth-round pick. The Dolphins paid Robert Quinn a $1 million roster bonus on like the third day of the league year this year, and then traded him to Dallas for a six because Dallas wasn't willing to take on the cap hit. So Miami said, that's fine. We'll, we'll eat some of it down. We're going to have plenty of cap to spare this year. Don't worry. That's the same thing the Dolphins did with Aqib Tlaib. This is much more of an NBA-style trade thought process. Acquiring expiring contracts and being willing to eat the cash involved in those players to get extra assets. That's very much an NBA thing. They've been doing that for years. You see very few examples of it in the NFL. And one of the guys that writes for me at uh, USA Today's Dolphins Wire, uh, Dylan Ashcraft, put together an awesome article this morning talking about the dynamics and differences between Mike Tannenbaum and Chris Greer. And I want to talk about that uh, shortly after I talk to you all about today's sponsors of Fin It to Win It. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave is 
hasn't really changed all that much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither did you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because when it gives me a close shave, it does so with an easy glide and a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential quality durable blades at a fair price of just $2 per blade. It's super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners to Finit to Win It can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. The holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Or decide which shipping carrier to use? Or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you can be managing orders, printing labels, and getting all those products out the door and delivered on time for the holidays. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, making it really easy to manage them from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including the U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They now even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Any business can access the same poached discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use the offer code BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, to get a free 60-day trial that's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the page and then type in BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE, ShipStation, make ship happen. So pretty much the thought process behind what Dylan put together discussing the differences between Mike Tannenbaum and Chris Greer should have Dolphins fans excited. I know there are a lot of Dolphins fans who are apprehensive about Chris Greer because the guy's been in the position of general manager since 2016. He's presumably the guy that made the Charles Harris pick in 2017, the Mike Isecki pick in 2018. People are going to have short-sighted mindset and say, well, you know, Christian Wilkins really hasn't been an impact player for the Dolphins either. But I'm not going to hit the panic button on Christian Wilkins, and I don't think it's very fair to kind of gloss over some of the picks that Chris Greer has made in Laramie Tunsil, Xavier Howard in the first and second round in 2016, uh, 2018 drafting Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, when you can get players, get them on the field playing for an extended amount of time, and then turn around and cash those players out for more 
that wasn't an indictment of the players. And it says a lot about how the league felt about those players that a, a Pittsburgh Steelers team without Ben Roethlisberger was given, willing to give up their first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick after a year. And that Laramie Tunsil was going to demand two first round picks. That says he made in two out of three years, he made a great pick with his first round pick. It's just based on Minka Fitzpatrick didn't want to be here. That's not really anybody's control other than Brian Flores asks all of his defensive backs to be multiple and play multiple different spots. And if Mick is going to take that personally or, or get uh, upset about that because it doesn't put him in the best position to always do exactly what he does best, then I don't know what to tell you. And that's kind of the the danger, if you will, of constant changing of the guard with head coaches and, and not having continuity is you're going to make picks based on players and then other coaches are going to come in and certain players aren't going to fit that vision. For the Dolphins to cut their losses and recoup the exact same thing that they spent on him is a win. Make no mistake about it. And again, the fact that the league had multiple people bidding on Minka Fitzpatrick. The Dolphins had the Houston Texans calling him presumably every day asking about Laramie Tunsil. Hey, you want Trey Tunsil yet? All right, we'll give you two two or two ones. Still not enough? Okay, we'll give you two ones and a two, but the two's got to come next year. And we'll give you a couple lower end of the, the roster type players and Johnson Batamosi and Julian Davenport, uh, who could step in and start for you at tackle if you need to. Goes out and gets hurt in the first game, of course, but that's neither here nor there. Christian Wilkins is going to be perfectly fine. Don't hit the panic button and say Chris Greer can't make picks because Christian Wilkins hasn't had eight sacks to start the year this year. He's going to be fine. He has brilliant flashes every week if you watch him inside and you watch him go toe-to-toe with, listen, they've played some tough some tough offensive lines to this point in the season. You know, Wilkins kind of got whooped up a little bit by Dallas, but he still had his flashes. He did well against Brandon Scherf in one-on-ones. Thought he played a good game again this past week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So... Miami's top end of the, the first round picks, if they made a good pick in Laramie Tunsil because his demand was through the roof, they made a bad pick in Charles Harris, who I didn't like coming out in 2017. I think I had him as like a third or fourth round grade. I'm not really surprised he hasn't materialized, but I'm super disheartened that with all the opportunity that's here, he hasn't done anything at all, like anything at all. But good teams make bad picks all the time. Look but look at any general manager's track record. They're going to get a player who just blows up in your face. It's the natural byproduct of these players not being established as pros yet. You don't know what you're going to get. And there's another subsection of the football world that seems to use that as a testament to, yeah, why, why would you even prioritize picks? Just get the players. And for certain teams, that's fine. But that's not fine for where the Dolphins are because the Dolphins need so much. They need the assets because they're going to turn some of these assets into more assets. And then, you know, once they get two years of overhaul on the roster, then maybe they start taking some of those assets and bringing in players selectively that are in the third or fourth year of their rookie contracts that they're willing to part with picks. But you got to pull everything at the front. And that's what the Dolphins are doing now. And that's what's so smart versus what, the Dolphins did under Mike Tannenbaum, which was 
Well, we're going to trade for play, picks for players. We're going to play pay players a ton of money. We're going to sign guys in free agency. And we're going to restructure all the po- contracts we possibly can to continue to manipulate the salary cap so that we have room to make another splash signing. Well, the roster's flawed. And because you're giving picks away for players and you're signing guys in free agency and not getting compensatory picks, like all of this adds up to at some point you can't keep robbing Paul to pay Peter because you're going to have to pay Paul too. And there's a balance to all of this. And the Dolphins in their evaluation season in 2019 under Chris Greer's direction as the guy in Miami for the first year. They have the wherewithal to pool cash. They have the wherewithal to pull picks. They're going to have 14 picks. As of right now, they have 14 picks in 2020. They can use some of those to trade up in the draft. They can use some of those to trade down in the draft and get more picks for 2021. 2021, they could take some of those picks and trade them for players. Like, it gives you so much more flexibility. But you can't have flexibility if you don't have assets. And for a long time under Mike Tannenbaum, the Dolphins just didn't have assets because they kept spending... Anytime they got any kind of daylight up against the cap, yeah, let's spend it on a big player. And it bit him in the butt several times, and that's the byproduct that you're seeing with the Dolphins this year where they had to go Band-Aid method and just get rid of everybody. And I mean everybody, because they had to. If you're going to evaluate the players this year and figure out who needs to be a part of this picture going forward, why not just do the Band-Aid method get rid of the Ryan Tannehills and not re-sign Cameron Wake and Juwan James, who's played like one game this year. So the Dolphins' third-round comp picks now going to be a fourth-round comp pick. So thanks a lot for that, Juwan. Uh, hope you get better soon, though. Uh, I, I think the direction under Miami, there's going to be misses. And teams are, the, the fans are going to lose their mind when the misses happen in the draft. But that's the nature of the beast. You're going to have misses. But the more ammunition you have the more hits you're going to have. You can't expect a guy to bat 1,000. But if he bats 55 60% and you've got twice the assets of everybody else, what does that tell you? And that's why what Chris Greer's doing right now is so special from a long-term vision standpoint, something the Dolphins not have, have not had in forever. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Fin It to Win It. Uh, wanted to hold off on getting the next one out until the trade deadline had came and went, and it did not disappoint, unlike the other 31 teams in the NFL. Uh, thankfully, the primetime nightmare is over. I can't imagine we'll get too much more national narrative talking about the Dolphins and their tanking. And if we do, look for me on Twitter. I'm at Grinding the Tape. I'll be the guy complaining about all the ignorance. Until next week, thanks for listening, guys, to Fin It to Win It.